singing. Good to see you tonight. Good to have Joseph at the piano doing a good job. And Ross leading. And it's good to have you here. Don't want to miss anybody. Um, our missionary for the week is the printing ministry of the Sweet Springs Baptist Church. That's a church up in Huntsville, Missouri. A little town. Uh, no, go to Columbia, go north on 63, and it's up there half hour or so. It's not. It's out in the country, but the church has a, just a tremendous printing ministry, a large web press, and they churn out lots and lots of literature. We we support them every month, and they um, print that literature, and it goes free of charge to missionaries wherever they're serving. They don't print in every language, but they do a number of languages. And last time their pastor was here, Tim Gibson, who's a real good friend of mine, he, uh, they, had, they had undertaken the challenge of putting a John and Romans that they printed, little John and Romans paperback, in every home, every address in Missouri. And they're well on their way to doing that. Probably maybe nearly have it done. So we're praying for them this week. We're glad for them, the fellowship we have for them. And we're praying, of course, for our teen conference this next Saturday morning, 10 o'clock till 4, and trusting the Lord to, uh, to really use that, really praying for it. Brother um, Justin is it. Countryside Baptist Church tonight, and Brother Jedediah is at Mid-America Baptist in Win Winfield, Missouri. That's a church that our church supported uh, when it was first beginning in St. Charles, and they've, Brother Greg Irby was the founding pastor, so we're pray for them tonight as they preach. Good to see you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you tonight for the privilege of singing praise to your name. We thank you for songs about the cross. And we thank you for what it means to us. We thank you, Lord, for the great price that you paid for our redemption, for the love of God that's demonstrated at the cross of Calvary. We're very grateful. God, we love you and thank you. And we love you because you first loved us. And so we praise you. Lord, for just being so good to us. We thank you for our church family. We thank you that we can assemble like this in this country with great liberty and freedom. We're thankful for it. We pray tonight for the services at Countryside and at Mid-America that you're blessed there. And we pray for the Sweet Springs Baptist Church and Pastor Gibson there. We ask you, Lord, that you'll just continue to bless them and meet their needs, use them. What a testimony what God can do in any place that people are available and we thank you for that and we thank you that we can partner with them. We ask you Lord that you'd bless in our service tonight for your honor and glory in Jesus name. Amen. You can be seated. We'll sing this next song. I'm a still Jesus.
Take your Bibles tonight, and we're going to begin in the Psalms, 132nd Psalm. Good to see you tonight. Good to be in the Lord's house. I don't know if you noticed it or not, but at the Welcome Center, there's a little information sheet asking for people to update their uh, personal information, date of birth, uh, anniversary, your phone, email stuff, your address, anything you can remember of pertinent information. Um, some of these things it would be impossible to remember, like when did you join the church, stuff like that. But anyway, we do try to contact people and, and uh, use our Facebook page to do that. So we'd like for you to update that information. I may ask the guys at the end of the service to distribute those because it would be helpful. Some of you, we have, I know we have current information. Some of you, we don't have complete information. But if you'd help us with that, we'd appreciate it. At the end of the service, we're going to talk about a couple of matters of business for the church, but we'll save that till the end. Uh, Psalm 132 is where we're going to be reading tonight. And it's just a uh, very, uh, one of my favorite passages. And it kind of ties in with what we talked about this morning about our devotion to Christ. And uh, so let's stand together, Psalm 132. And I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but I'll read some of it, and then we'll fill in some other verses. And let's just notice a few things as we read, beginning in verse 1. Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. And the first thing I would point out is to let us know that this is not a psalm of David. Many of the psalms were written by David. But this psalmist, this writer, who is not David, is writing about David. Verse 1, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions, how he, talking about David, swear unto the Lord, having to do with making a commitment of vow, you swear unto the Lord, and vowed unto the mighty God of Jacob. And this was his vow. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house, nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. And then if you look at a couple other verses before we pray, verses 13 and 14. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. So in verse 5, the writer says that David, he's quoting David. David said, until I find a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. A habitation, as you know, is where somebody lives. I want to I provide a place for God to live. How would you build a house for God? I want to find a place for God to live. Verse 13, for the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. 
Here will I dwell, God says, for I've desired it. This is where I want to live. So again, kind of going back to the morning message about our devotion to God and how we ought to be, you know, wanting to be close to God. And, and I think this would kind of be a sort of a, an addendum to that. So let's pray and get into it. All right, Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you, Lord, to bless tonight. We thank you for the church family, the fact that we can assemble like this. We thank you, Lord, for the privilege of prayer, that we can pray for one another. We thank you for the answer to prayer that we heard about this morning. And we pray for folks tonight, even in our church, that are struggling, some that are sick. Pray for Tracy this evening as she's ill. And Father, for others, Lord, we think about the pastor that we know that's struggling with COVID. We think about our missionary friend that's dealing with cancer tonight, him and his wife and family. And Father, there are many people with needs, but we're just glad we can come to you and pray for one another and see you answer according to your will. We're grateful for it. God, please bless tonight and just speak to our hearts through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So really, the subject of this uh, whole psalm, really, but especially the portion that we've read, is David's devotion. David is renowned for his devotion to God. He had a great desire for the Lord. As a matter of fact, when Saul, as you'll remember, when Saul... Um, was disqualified from being the king of Israel. This is what Samuel said about his replacement. God had found a man after his own heart. That's David. He had a heart for God. He, he, he had this, and, he was, and by the way, he had this heart for God when he, was, when he was in his youth. You know, it's estimated that when he was 17, 18, 19 years old is when he went out and faced Goliath. And he didn't go face Goliath because he thought he was such a great warrior. Who went out and faced Goliath? Because he believed that God would help him. And so he had a great heart of God for God, a great devotion. He's a, he wasn't perfect. David wasn't perfect. Like all of us, he had his flaws. He made some mistakes, very serious mistakes. But when we look at the Psalms, not just this Psalm, but many Psalms, we see pictures of his devotion. In Psalm 63, he said, O God, thou art my God, early will I seek thee. My soul thirsteth for thee, my flesh longeth for thee. In a dry and thirsty land where no water is. He, he, to him, he just had a hunger and a thirst for God. And that's an encouragement to me. I hope it will be an encouragement to you because we too ought to have a devotion, a heart for God. But in this particular passage... And we see that he had this passion for God's presence. And it's hard for us sometimes to relate to what they're saying, but he really wanted a place for God to dwell, a place for God to live. He mentions that in verse 5, until I find out a place for the Lord and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. And I'll probably refer to this again, but one, one example of that is when David, near the end of his life, he wanted to build a temple. God lived in a tent. And you say, well, God didn't really live there. Well, he, he manifested his presence there in this tabernacle. He, he showed up there. He showed his presence and power. And David, David wanted to have a permanent house for him. I want a place for God. And that's a part of what he's talking about here. 
I want to create this place for God to live. What, a, what kind of a house would you have to live, have for God to live in it? The other day, Jedediah and him sent me a picture to see what, he said, I want you to know about, think about this house. We're thinking about buying this house up in the Wentzville area. And it was a picture of a house that w was listed for $20 million. I said, go for it. God will, God will provide. What kind of a, what kind of a house, you know, would you, would God want to live in? And I'm, I'm not just, I'm, I'm putting that in your mind because there are some places that God does live and God wants to live. And we'll, we'll get to that in a moment. But when you think about the children of Israel, you just think about Old Testament times. Think about, think about David and Solomon but even prior to that, in those days of the Exodus, when they first got the instruction for the tabernacle, that was it, what was it that separated God's people from all other peoples? And the answer is, it was His presence. That God was not just a, a idol, He wasn't something made out of stone or wood. God was a living reality. God was a personage, and God... God manifested himself to his people. And when they would travel in the, in the wilderness journeys, you, could, you couldn't see God, but you could see this cloud during the day that was symbolic of God's presence and a pillar of fire at night that let you know that God was there. God, was, God didn't just send somebody there. God was there. Matter of fact, let's just hold our finger here in Psalm 132 and go to the book of Exodus for just a moment and see this uh, language in Exodus chapter 25. And this is as God is going to be giving Moses the plan, the instructions for the Tabernacle for the furniture of the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, etc. In Exodus chapter 25 and verse 8, notice this language. God's, this is God speaking. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. I have that marked in my Bible. It's a very important statement. Let, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell, that I may live among them. And that's what that tabernacle is going to be. And a couple of chapters over in Exodus chapter 29. Let's look there. Exodus 29. A couple of places here. And again, he's, he's giving them the instruction concerning the tabernacle, the worship, the sacrifices, the priesthood. But look in verse 43 of Exodus 29. And there I will meet with the children of Israel. And the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. And look in verse 45. He says, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. And then verse 46. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God that brought them forth out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. All of those statements are just really powerful to me, where God, the God 
who cannot be contained, that he said, I would dwell among them. I'm going to live among them. How would you like to have God living with you? How would you have to have, like to have God himself dwelling in a, in a way that was they could, they could see the manifestation of his presence? That's an amazing thing. And David, back to Psalm 132, this is, this is David's heart. And in this, in this 132nd Psalm, I read this a moment ago, but look what he said in verse 13. For the Lord hath chosen Zion, talking about Israel. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. Now this, this is a, reveals a lot, but one thing it reveals is this. And I think it's worth noting that God, it's God's nature to be near his people. God wants to be near his people. He doesn't want to relate to us from afar. He wants to be close to us. And so David, as expressed in this 132nd Psalm, had this desire for a place for God to dwell. He wanted God's presence. Um, I have another quote written down here from Psalm. It says, one thing have I desired of the Lord. This is the words of David. One thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek after that, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, when I think about these things, historically, they mean a lot to us. They mean a lot because that's who David was. That was his relationship with God. But spiritually, and it applies to us as well, because I think God would have us to understand that he wants to be close to us. He wants to fellowship with us. He wants to be in our, in our midst and us to be in his midst. Um, in the 132nd Psalm, one of the things that I believe the writer refers to, and by the way, I think Solomon is the one that wrote this. Solomon, the son of David. And there's a couple of reasons for that. I believe that. But one of the things that we see here is another expression of David's desire for the presence of God. Look in verse 6. Verse 5, he says, Until I find out a place for the Lord, and habitation for the mighty God of Jacob, a place for God to habitate, a habitation for God, a dwelling place, a residence. Verse 6. Lo, we heard of it. I have the word it circled in my Bible because it's talking about something. We heard of it at Ephratah. We found it, circled again, it in the fields of the wood. And I believe the it that David, is refer, uh, that David was referring to in these words and Solomon is writing about is the Ark of the Covenant. You, you remember when David uh, became the king Saul had been the king, and when Saul was the king, they had a battle against the Philistines, and in this battle against the Philistines, the Ark was taken. The Ark of the Covenant was taken. You remember that's when Eli, who was the priest, fell off, and uh, when he heard about the Ark being taken, and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, his sons were killed in battle, and he, he, just, had a, he just died. Because, and it didn't say he died because his sons perished. 
It says he died because the ark was taken. That was such a precious piece of furniture. It represented the presence of God. Well, Saul was the king. And when Saul was the king, the ark of the covenant was captured by the Philistines. And that's a long story in itself. But when David became the king, one of the first order of business was, we're going to bring the ark back. Because that ark represented, that's the most sacred piece of furniture in the tabernacle. And it represented the presence of God. Inside it was the... Uh, a jar of manna, you remember that? Inside it was the jar of manna and, and Aaron's rod that, that budded and uh, it, it, re- just, it would represent the presence of God. So when it says right here in verse 6, we heard of it at Ephratah, we found it in the fields of the wood, we will go into his tabernacles, we will worship at his footstool. I believe he's talking there about bringing back this ark. So there are two things in David's life, historically, that stand out to me as an example of his devotion for God. Not just his psalms, not just his writing, not those things alone, but the fact that he was determined to bring the presence of God back to Israel, to bring the ark back, number one. And then number two, later in his ministry, in his life, he wanted to build a temple, which we know he could not build, but Solomon, his son, built. And um, and one of the reasons I believe that Solomon wrote this, and I'm not going to turn to it tonight, but you could write this down if you take notes in your Bible, that the verse 8 and 9 in Psalm 132, Arise, O Lord, into thy rest, thou in the ark of thy strength. Let thy priests be clothed with righteousness, and let thy saints shout for joy. That's a, that's a, that's a quote, almost a verbatim, almost an exact quote from Solomon's prayer after this temple that David wanted to build and Solomon did build, it's Solomon's prayer at the dedication of the temple. He prayed these words right here in verse 8 and 9. That's one of the things that makes me believe that Solomon wrote this. But the whole context is about a place for the Lord to dwell. Now how serious was David about this? Look, what he, look how he illustrated his passion in verses 3, 4, and 5. Surely I will not come into the tabernacle of my house nor go up into my bed. I will not give sleep to mine eyes or slumber to mine eyelids until I have found out a place for the Lord, a habitation for the mighty God of Jacob. I mean, this was an obsession with him because he wanted a place for God to dwell. And to me, it really just speaks about devotion, about how... On the, on the other end of the spectrum, how easy it is for us to go through life and kind of forget about how, God, how important God is to our life and not be concerned about things that come between us and fellowship with God. God wants to be close to us. God wants to be near us. Matter of fact, he tells us if we'll draw nigh unto him, He'll draw nine to us. And with all that really as an, an introduction, really the bulk of the message, I just want to emphasize two places that we can know for sure that God desires to dwell. First of all, He wants to dwell in our lives. He wants to dwell in our hearts. He, Ephesians 3 says that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Where would God want to live? I mean, if uh, I was talking to 
Brother Wagner today, they just took a trip out west uh, for a week or so, and I told him, of every place I think I've ever been, my favorite place is Yellowstone, and we've been there twice and spent a lot of time in that national park. So if I wanted to live, I might want to live in Yellowstone, if I could pick any place I want. Well, where would God want to live? Where, you know, when, 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 when God inhabits every place, every, you can't find a place in this vast expanse of creation. You can't find a place that God is not. He's everywhere. But you know where he wants to live, young person? He wants to live in your heart. He wants to live in your, why would God want to be with me? Why would God want to be a part of my life? And yet that's the reality that he is. And when a person gets saved, Christ indwells that person. Um, I'm not going to turn to it, but I'm going to just read you a few verses that speak to that very subject from Romans chapter 8. Listen to these words. It says, but you're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Listen to this. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, not just around you, but in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. You say, well, I don't think I have the Spirit of Christ, then you're not saved, according to the Bible. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. I mean, over and over and over and over, he makes mention of the fact that he lives within us, even Jesus. Before Jesus went to the cross, he said this in John's gospel about the spirit of God. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him. Jesus said this, for he dwelleth with you, talking about himself, and shall be in you, talking about the spirit of God indwelling. He lives in us. Where does, where does God live? He lives in us. Is it possible for a person to be saved and not recognize the fact that the spirit of God lives in us? I think it can, it's possible that we might overlook him, that we might neglect him. As a matter of fact, we're warned in the Bible not to grieve him, not to quench the Spirit of God. But if you're saved, he's in you. 1 Corinthians 6 says, Know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? He lives inside of you. Galatians 4 it says, And because your sons... God hath sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. There is, for every saved person in this room tonight, for every child of God, there is within you the spirit of God who is crying within you, Abba, Father. Crying out, you know what Abba means? Like It's a very intimate name for God. There's something inside of you that wants to relate intimately with God. And if, that, if that's not your life, you're not saved. You're not saved. You say, how do you know? Because the Bible says so. I think, I think if people who are saved ought to recognize that, that God lives with you. God is in you.
one of the most, I think, eye-opening and challenging things, one of the most uh, life-changing understanding for me was to know that wherever, whatever I put in my body, I'm exposing the Lord to. He lives in me. Wherever I go, I'm, every conversation I'm listening to, I'm exposing Him to. I mean, I don't know a person in this room, I don't know if I know anybody that's so evil that I know that if they were literally standing in the presence of Jesus, I don't think they would use profanity. I don't think they would listen to profanity. I don't think they would look at things that are filthy. And yet if you're saved and Jesus lives in you, you're exposing him to all that kind of filth. And if it doesn't bother you, I think there's something seriously wrong. We don't want to grieve him. We, we want our lives to be yielded to him. He lives with us. I'd like to think, I'd like to think this. That if someone came in and said, Jesus is right down the street and he's teaching that I'd want to get as close as I could to him to hear him, right? Now Jesus said when somebody comes and tells you that, don't believe them because they're telling you a lie. But let's just say, let's just, wouldn't you want to be there? I'd leave you here and I'd go down there. Right, because I'd want to be near him. And yet if you're saved, he lives inside of you. And he should not be like, he just should not feel like an intruder. He ought to be welcomed. He ought to be received. He ought to be honored. He wants to be in our life and we want him in our life. So where is, where, if I'm looking for a place for God to dwell, where would that be? Number one, it'd be inside of people. And if you're here tonight and you're not saved, this is just one aspect of salvation, but it's a wonderful aspect of salvation. When you get saved, he comes to live within you by the Spirit of God. And he's not going to have you do all kinds of awkward, crazy things that would make you nervous. He's not, but he'll change your life. And he changes us from the inside out. He changes our desires. He changes our values. He changes and you know what? Those changes, even though those are not external changes, it's an internal change, those changes will manifest themselves externally and people will be able to see that. Why? Because, because He lives in you. So where does He live? He lives in His children. And the other place that we know that He lives is He dwells in His churches. We know that. You say, how you know? Because the Bible says so. Let's look with me, if you would, please, in Matthew chapter 18. And I hope you have your Bible. I hope you're looking at your Bible. And I want to say this while you turn to this. You know, I, I use, I, I read sometimes, especially in the morning, I read sometimes from a tablet, and I have the and I have the Bible on my phone, have the Bible on my phone, have the Bible on my tablet, have the Bible on my laptop, and I have the Bible in print. And so all of them contain the Word of God. Now, please hear what I'm about to say. And if, and if people choose not to use a, a Bible, that's fine with me. But I personally, this is just my opinion, I don't think I can get as much out of the Bible and I, I can't write notes in the margin like I like to in my Bible using my phone. So if I'm, if I'm around somebody and they need to find a Bible verse and 
There's one or two verses I don't have memorized. I can look at my phone and I can find it. But I love this part of the Bible right here. And I, and I just encourage people to use your Bible. It's a, it's, so let's, let's look in Matthew. And I say that because the, here's a passage that everybody in this room ought to know exactly how to get to it, how to find it by memory because we've looked at it a lot of times. But Matthew chapter 18 Jesus says, and I just want to, I'm not going to read this whole text, but in verse 15, he says, If thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. So he says, if someone offends you, someone trespasses against you, means he sinned against you, go talk to him about it. And, and he says, if, you've gained, if, you hear, if he'll hear you, you've gained your brother, you get it worked out. And verse 16 says, if he won't hear you, take somebody else with you. Try to get it worked out. Verse 17, that's where I really want to get to. And if he neglects to hear them, tell it unto the church. So you have to deal with it in a, because you want to get it resolved. Whatever it takes, get it resolved. Tell it to the church. And if he neglects to hear the church, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. So that's, that's the context of this is church, church business. And... Verse 18 is about the church. If you bind anything you bind on earth, be bound in heaven. Verse 19 is also about the church. In verse 20, here's what I want to get to. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, Jesus said this. Now, my Bible is not red letter edition. But if yours is, these should be in red. Are they? For where two or three, I got the discounted version. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there, Jesus said this, there am I in the midst of them. Now, if that's the only time he ever said anything like this, you might think, well, maybe he just means because I'm everywhere, then if you get together with a few people, I'll be there. But, but that's, not a, that's not what he's saying. Matter of fact, let's go to another place. Go to, go to the book of Ephesians. This may be the last place we'll look at uh, tonight. Ephesians chapter 2, and it's worth noting as you turn to the book of Ephesians that this is an, uh, an, a letter, an epistle of Paul to the church at Ephesus. It was written to a church. And in Ephesians chapter 2, speaking to them, he said this, verse 19, now therefore you're no, we're, Ephesians 2, 19, now therefore you're no more strangers and foreigners but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, you belong to God, you're God's family, and are built upon the foundation. Now this, now he starts talking about uh, a um, building, a building, a structure. You're built as a spiritual building. You're built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, verse 21, in whom all the building... Fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. This is a spiritual building made up of God's people. Look in verse 22. In whom ye also, now that ye also, speaking specifically to the church at Ephesus, in whom ye also are builded together for a habitation of God through the Spirit. That's the same language that we find in Psalms that David used and, and Solomon repeated a place for God to live, a habitation of God. Verse 22, you are, the, you are a habitation of God through the Spirit. So where does God want to live? Number one, He wants to live inside His people. Number two, 
He wants to dwell within his churches. He wants to live within his churches. And you say, you really believe when the church meets together that Jesus meets there? I do believe that. And you know why I believe it? I'm not, I don't believe it because of, you know, a warm, fuzzy feeling or goosebumps. I believe it because he said he'd be there. Now, some people, if they told me I'll be there at a certain time, I might think, maybe, yes, maybe no. But Jesus says, I'll be there. And we have this picture in the book of Revelation of the churches being represented by candlesticks and Jesus walking among the candlesticks. And not only do we have that, we have Jesus. All these, all these things are saying the same thing. Jesus said to this same church at Ephesus, right here, he said to them in, in uh, Revelation chapter uh, 2, he says, I have somewhat against thee to the church at Ephesus and it, because you've left your first love. And he says, if you don't re repent and return, he said, I'm going to remove the candlestick. In other words, you won't even be a church anymore. Jesus meets with his churches. Okay, another one of those churches, the church at Laodicea, Jesus said, I'm on the outside knocking on the door. I'm on the knocking at the door. And we use that verse in evangelism saying, God knocks upon the door of your heart. But really, that's talking about a church. If any man will open the door and ask me to come in, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Where does he live? Where does God live? I'll tell you where God lives. He lives in heaven, right? The third heaven. He lives, he fills the universe. He is omnipresent. You can't go anywhere where he's not. Psalm 139, that beautiful psalm. He's everywhere. He sees me when I sit down, when I stand up. He knows my thoughts are far off. If I descended into hell, behold, he's there. He's everywhere. So where is God? He's everywhere. But there are two special places in, in this era, this time, that he chooses to dwell. He lives in the heart of his people, and he lives in the presence of his churches. And we ought to be passionate about that, about the presence of God. This truth, I think, and really it refers back, as I said earlier, more than once, to our devotion. It ought to greatly affect us that God is here. It, it, we ought to be committed to, to, to ourselves, our own personal life, our personal journey. We ought to be committed to the, the church ministry, not just the ministries of the church, but the body of Christ. We ought to be committed because, because it's where God shows up. It's where, he, where he, he, he is. He promised to be. He loved the church and gave himself for it. We ought to guard. We ought to guard that. I don't want to do anything in my life. Now, I'm confident. Interrupting myself. I'm confident that once a person's saved, they're eternally saved. I don't think I could do anything to forfeit my salvation. But I tell you what I can do. I can do things that would grieve the Spirit of God that would hinder my fellowship with God. Why would I want to do something that might offend or grieve the Spirit of God? Why would I say anything? Why would I do anything? Why? And, and we all deal with sin, but I'm just saying this ought to be serious to us. And the same thing about the church. You know, we ought to be careful to guard the church, the unity of the church, the spirit of the church, 
Because, because, and pray for our church. Pray for one another. Pray for the services. Pray for the family members in the, in the body of Christ. And be passionate about the purity of the church. You know, when Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, which was a, a very troubled church, he said, you need to take care of some issues there because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You say, preacher, I can understand why Paul felt that way. I can understand why you might feel that way, but you don't expect everybody to feel that way. No, I don't, everybody, just those that are saved. <laughs> and those that are in the church, I think we ought to feel that way. Amen. Because, because it's where God lives. So where does God live? As far as you're concerned, as far as your life is concerned, where does God live? Does he dwell within your heart? Does he really live in your life? Do you welcome him? Do you ever talk to him? You know, my wife and I, over the course of years, we've had people live with us numbers of times. Imagine having somebody living with you and you just never talk to them, or they never talk to you. Wouldn't that be something? If you say you're saved, God lives within you. Do you talk to him? Do you communicate with him? Do you check things out with him? Do you say, God, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? You say, well, people don't, shouldn't live like that. Why shouldn't we live that way? He lives inside his people. And he lives in his churches. I'm not saying he lives in every religious organization that claims to be a church. I, and I'm not qualified to say we're all the true churches are and those that aren't. But I'm telling you this, he lives inside his churches. He, when, he, when we show up, he shows up. I'm, I'm not saying he lives here all the time in a special way. If you leave, he's still here. But I come in here, I was telling the guys at prayer meeting yesterday, sometimes I come in and just sit in this place in the dark and just pray and think about how good God is because I think this is a special place. And it's not because it's the building, it's because God's church assembles here. And it makes it a special place. And we ought to believe that. He's here. He's here. So David had this passion for God. I'm not going to go to bed. I'm not going to go to sleep. I'm not going to get any rest until I find a place for God to dwell. I want a place for God to dwell. We ought to feel similarly. Right? I think so too. Do you know him tonight? Think about this. We're going to wrap this up. Do you know him? I mean, do you really know him? Do you have a relationship with him? He wants to know you. He wants to have a relationship with you, fellowship with you. If you don't know him tonight, you're missing out. Amen? Let's bow our heads together for prayer. A place for the Lord to dwell. I'm going to ask you to do something with the heads bowed tonight for a moment. 
If you're here tonight and you're really saved, you know you're saved, you have confidence you've been born again, right where you sit, right where you sit, it'd be good just to acknowledge that the Lord is with you. He dwells within you. He wants to fill our life. He wants to control our life. He wants to guide us. He wants to comfort us. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to instruct us and teach us. He lives within us. And if you don't have that assurance tonight, my prayer is that you would think about that. I, I want the Lord in my life. This is important to me. This is, I want to make it a priority. Our Father, as we pray this evening, we thank you for the glimpses that we have in our Bible, and David's only one of them, but what a great example he is of what it's like to have a passion for God. For a young person, a young man, to have such a relationship with God, trusting in God, serving the Lord, we're challenged by that. I pray that the word of God tonight would, would convict us and challenge us of the importance of recognizing your presence, seeking to please you in all that we do. And Father, I thank you tonight that you don't live in physical buildings as such. You don't live in the tabernacle at this time, nor the temple, but you live within us. You live in our hearts. You live in your churches. God, we thank you for the privilege of being where you are. And it's, it's really amazing to us tonight that, Lord, you would want to be where we are. But we thank you for it, and we need you. We need you to work in our midst, we need you to fill our lives. We need you to empower us, to give us wisdom, to strengthen us, to guide us, to reprove us, to show us the things that please you and the things that we should refrain from. God, we need your help, and we welcome your help. We welcome your involvement, your input as such. And we thank you tonight and praise you for that. While our heads are bowed, without any...